0: welcome to episode 31 of father and son watch horror movies i am your co-host the father aka pastor matt aka matt rawlings and i am joined as always by my trusty co-host
1: jackson the sun and we're going to give you the ultimate episode today on the podcast and it won't even cost you hundred dollars <laughs> oh, <man.
0: laughs> nice well we are a spoiler podcast we definitely spoil the movies we discussed over the past weeks, we've talked a, a, a lot about art house horror films, so quite frankly, we're ready to go low rent. In fact, we're headed to Times Square in 7980 with a very sweaty Joe Spinell <laughs> to discuss yep. *Maniac*. Mercy! Oh, that means so.
2: can lock your door, but you can't lock the madman out of your mind. Maniac. No one under 17 admitted.
0: Um, now, I did not see Maniac until I was around your age, 16. Mm-hmm. Um, so about eight years after it came out. And I believe you had not seen this until this past weekend. So yep. you you too saw it first at 16.
1: Give yep. me
0: your initial thoughts on Maniac.
1: Well, my first exposure to Maniac was through the Elijah Wood remake, um, as with a lot of people my age in the horror community. I was just on Shudder Live. You know, they do that live TV stream, and right. it just so happened to pop up. And I thought it was really disturbing, but I had no idea what was going on. So I kind of had an idea of what... The imagery would be like in this movie what what the general vibe would be but I, but i didn't i wasn't fully prepared i don't think um so when i tune in and within minutes we have uh joe Spinell, as you're talking about uh in a room very sweaty screaming his head off playing yeah. both parts i guess of his of his mother and him but not really it's mostly him i don't really know but talking to a bloody mannequin with a scalp and a, a wig of human right. hair nailed onto it uh it was kind of a rude awakening to to what maniac was was going to be like um and i think i have kind of a hot take as far as the rating goes with this movie because oh. um it was so disturbing uh, this film to the point where i don't think i enjoyed watching it
0: huh well let's get into that i i will state from the front um, here from the beginning, I admire this film more mm-hmm. than I like it.
1: Yeah, I would agree
0: uh, with that. I first saw it when I was sixteen on VHS. At that time, I thought it was garbage. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew to appreciate it on a rewatch about a year and a half ago. I do really like Joe Spinell's performance. And I love it when filmmakers go gorilla. Mm -hmm. Which Bill Lustig did here with um, an estimated $350,000 and no permits, though there's some debate over that. Um, So I do admire this film, but it's not a film that I want to re-watch over and over again.
1: Yeah. It's not a party movie, I guess you could say. Uh, no. If you're looking for a fun horror movie, you would do something like Scream or Halloween. You wouldn't sit down with your friends and watch Maniac. Watch it. Watch it. Watch a sweaty fat man uh, scalp people and scream for his mother in a graveyard. It's not not a fun time, um, and I. It, it's almost like laughable how grimy and back alley this movie is it's very new mm-hmm. york if i'm being honest um oh very Times square very, 1970 yeah.
0: 1980 yeah
1: i think this and basket case are the two best uh like new york movies to really tell you what it's like um but frank zito who is the protagonist i guess if you want to call him that he is technically right. the main character but he's not a hero in any way um He is an awful, terrible person. He's more disturbed than Norman Bates, but he can slip on the charm like a sociopath at any given moment. And it really freaks me out that people like this actually exist, and we know they do uh, from people like the Zodiac Killer. I mean, he is, I think, a really realistic portrayal of a serial killer and that— He's just walking around, uh, you know, he's just walking around New York, interacting with people, making friends, even possibly making like getting a girlfriend, this random European photographer who's in uh, like New York for uh, well, whatever reason. well,
0: we will talk about whether or not she's a girlfriend. I, that's mm-hmm. that is a source of contention, but I hear you can you're saying.
1: Se- I can see how he is definitely an unreliable narrator. Uh, you're not really sure what's going on because at one point he does hallucinate that his dead mother pops out of a grave and, and tries to pull him in. So right. he's not 100% sane, obviously, with the things he does. Um, but uh, most of the movie, I would say, is told from kind of a, an objective third-person kind of view. Um, Absolutely. not I don't think it's I don't think it's necessarily told from his perspective until the ending, which is very much um, like from his perspective, we're placed into his mind very disturbingly. I mean, I don't want to spend any kind of time in there because it is really cluttered with all things nasty. But Hmm. technically, I think this movie is a marvel. The cinematography is all pretty good. Lots of strikingly, strikingly lit close ups and uh, cold kind of distant wide angles and there's lots of long takes, which I was surprised by. Uh, the one that stood out to me the most is when he's sitting down at dinner with Anna and, you know, they're just kind of talking and and, and and having kind of a back and forth, which was very surprising because the only speaking we had seen him do before that uh, was soliciting prostitution and uh, screaming as his mother. So um, it was it was really strange to see him kind of turn on the charm. But it was, it was interesting to me that uh, the camera decides to kind of pull back from everything and just let you be a fly on the wall in these really disturbing scenes. And it, it, it's kind of more scary that way, I feel like, than if it was really heartbeat, you know, editing, close-ups, shaky cam, um, nothing wrong with that style of filmmaking, but this was more disturbing almost. It's more clinical when you're just seeing it from a distance okay
0: well like i said i hated this movie when i first saw it um i saw it uh, renting it on a vhs when i was in north hollywood when i was 16 oh fun um yeah um re-watching it a year and a half ago um i grew to appreciate it w- one of the things that i love and hate about this movie is the special effects mm-hmm. so to save money of course Tom Savini was the head of effects here and to save money Savini reused a lot of props from mm-hmm. Dawn of the Dead and Friday the 13th which he just done you know a few months before um, in fact the headless corpse at the end is the same one used for Mrs. Voorhees in the original Friday the 13th that's cool what do you think watching this you know on Shudder what do you think of the special effects today
1: They're pretty good. I I think they're pretty good for the most part. Um, The one that stood out to me the most was uh, when Savini himself actually had his head explode after being shot with a Mm -hmm. shotgun through a window, and that was really awesome. But the most disturbing special effects, I think, are the scalping scenes and the stabbing scenes because there are a few shots where I think it's an actual knife piercing into skin. Um, There's a shot where Frank is on top of Ann, Anna's friend Rita, and he's got a knife pressing into her chest, and it looks like a real knife pressing into skin. I think it very well might have been, because the the shot they show after that, when he actually stabs her, looks a lot fake, like a lot more f- like a fake skin, fake chest kind of situation. But the the scene, like the, the shot before that looks pretty realistic. So the scalping scenes, the stabbing scenes very disturbing because especially with the sound effects, it almost makes you think you're seeing an actual crime. And, um, I don't, I don't like that. It's too good in some scenes. And then in others, it's kind of like, um, actiony kind of extreme to a point where it wouldn't actually happen that way. But some of it is just too real for me too too disturbing.
0: Yeah. I, I, I can see that. And it hasn't aged well. With, with some of the effects, HD. yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It, especially with the exposure way up on Shudder, Um, I think this was meant to be seen. We talked about this with uh, Ashley on the Return of the Living Dead episode. These were meant to be seen after they were seen on the theater screen. They're meant to be seen on a VHS tape with very low quality and low lighting. Um, and you weren't going to see the flaws in it. But when you watch it streaming in HD on Shutter, you can definitely tell when there are um, problems with it. Like, there is one, one scene, I think it's when Frank is, is scalping Rita. You can see that he's not actually making a cut in her head. There's just, like, painted blood on her, on her right. forehead, and there's, there's, no, uh, there's no line. There's no cut. He's just kind of painting it onto her forehead, which is kind of funny. But if you were to see this on VHS, I think it would be terrifying.
0: Yeah, which is how I saw it when I was sixteen. And um, so let's go back. You talked about the scene with Savini, where he plays Disco Boy. Disco That's Boy. Yep. How, he's, how he's listed in yep. the credits. Um, they used a real shotgun, and Savini pulled the trigger on the shotgun.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And he, if you look at the extras on the Blue Underground um, Blu-ray. He says that he said it was the oddest moment of his life because he cast his face and he was shooting himself. <laughs> yep.
1: Yep, <laughs> yeah. I'd imagine that'd be weird.
0: Uh, yeah, through a, a window and he said this was this was the most bizarre moment of my life. I'm shooting myself in the face.
2: Mhm.
1: Yeah, it's it's uh kind of interesting he gets to live out the seeing himself taking his own life but from a safe distance. kind of a weird kind of a weird yeah. idea. Um, and I feel like maybe, um, if he was given more time, I would, would have liked to see that, that shot from a front facing view, uh, just to kind of see what he would have done, though. It probably would have been hard because you have to prime those things with lots of blood packets and squibs and stuff. I'm sure there were like pipes on the front of that dummy head and, and, uh, all that kind of technical stuff, but I was pretty shocked about how brutal that scene was, oh um, yeah, and and really just really just kind of creepy too. When you see Frank kind of sticking his face against the window and that beanie, I was really disturbed. I mean, he is way too into it. Um, and then Disco Boy turns on the car and the headlights come on and he's out there in the, in the fog. Um, it's it's just a really disturbing scene. And then I, if I'm not mistaken, we cut immediately after that. To a scene of uh, of just him walking around the park, which is kind of weird. I feel like oh yeah, yeah, that's really weird. Yeah, the the whole film is talking to a little girl. Yeah, careful little girl. Like, what is she supposed to be? Care. You just stopped her on her bike. She wasn't doing anything dangerous. Um, he's kind of weird. That's the scene when he's first inter- introduced to Anna, the photographer. Actually, uh, we see him go over to her bag and get her address and her name off of her bag uh, name tag on there. So obviously, we know he's gonna do something to her. But uh, then we we cut away from that and we don't see her for a while. So I was just kind of thinking, okay, maniac, this is kind of a strange thing you're doing. Um. I kind of have a problem with the Anna character in that she's this European photographer uh, who shoots these photos of women, and for some reason she's in New York just taking a picture of Frank Zito and a little girl on a bike. I don't know why, but then she invites this total stranger who she took a picture of in the park into her home to, you know, have small talk with him and discuss the ethics of of taking photos and, and the meaning behind photography. It's a really strange relationship these two have, and it feels kind of out of place. Though, if this movie is told from the perspective of, of an unreliable narrator, I can kind of see how this didn't go down the same way that Frank thought it did.
0: Well, I... I disagree with you that it's an unreliable narrative, only in the sense that Spinell and Bill Lustig and others have said that it's that's not what they were going for. Now, I understand where you're coming from, but I, I don't think that's what they were going for. I okay, we'll get into the relationship later. Can we hold that off because sure. we'll Carolyn Monroe that. has some has some things to say about that? Okay. Um, but I agree with you. I mean, I remember watching this the first time and be like, okay. And I had a huge crush on Carolyn Monroe in the eighties when I was 16. I mean, she'd been, you know, as you well know, in so many hammer films and so forth. Mm -hmm. And she is a, she was a lovely, lovely lady. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I'm sitting there going, there's no way this is happening. Yeah, Uh, exactly. Okay. But she has an explanation for that. Now, in the Blue Underground extras on the three-disc uh, Blu-ray that was released, which I don't own, but I someone lent to me and I watched. Um, Savini is interviewed, and he says that Spinell had some other ideas he wanted to do, and even Tom Savini said that's too gross. I'm not doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Spine- Spinel wanted to bite things off of women. And, Spine- and and Savini was like no joe i'm 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 not doing that i'm uh,
2: not doing
1: that it sounds like he was a little too into this
0: yeah well it was his big break in the sense that the reason when i watched and i just watched a documentary which we'll get to later um joe spinel had always been a you know a Character actor, but he'd always been a background actor. He'd always been an also then, right? He'd been the guy in the background. Godfather one and two, all that kind of stuff. Um, He wanted his face on the poster. He wanted to be the star, right? So the studio doesn't put him on the poster, but he is. Yeah, of course. Well, yeah, and and so he was really into it. Um, It didn't happen, but. Let me ask you this. This was one of the three or four films that Gene Siskel walked out on.
1: I understand why. Yeah, Um, after
0: the shotgun scene, he called it unredeemable. mm -hmm. Um, He walked out. It was protested by both feminist groups and family Christian groups. Mm -hmm. Um, I understand in the sense that, you know, I've now seen it three or four
1: times. It's not a fun movie. No, not at all. Much in the same way that Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer is.
0: Yes, 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 yes. Um, This is not a slasher that I want to watch over and over again, like Halloween or Hell Night or Mm -hmm. Friday the 13th Part 2. So it sounds like you agree with me on that.
1: Yeah, it's not not, uh, fun and spooky and iconic in the same way that Halloween is. It's just kind of a a candid portrayal of violence.
0: Yeah, and... So, I know a lot of horror fans are going to hate this, but I grew up watching Siskel and Ebert. I I loved it, though I often disagreed with them. One of the criticisms, that, and I brought this up in my Letterbox review of Maniac, one of the criticisms that Siskel and Ebert leveled at movies like this is that when you have a killer, and you have little or no character development with the victims, mm-hmm. it makes you feel slimy and misogynistic, sexist, and because they believe the filmmakers were placing the audience in a position where they had to root for the killer because you don't know anyone else, really.
1: Yeah. What are, you, what
0: are your thoughts on that?
1: Uh I do feel that way with some films, though I think that you're more rooting for Anna um in this film because she doesn't have uh character development, but she is nice and uh, you don't want her to die obviously. And I think the reason you don't vote, you don't, uh, you don't really root for Frank in this film, is because he's so gross, he's so disgusting. I wouldn't want to be in the same room with this guy, uh, much less talk to him. So you don't root for. Um, Frank so much as you are kind of held captive, you're a captive audience to the, the terrible Agreed. things he does. Yeah. Uh, so it's not it's not condoning his violence, it's just portraying it and, and kind of telling you the the disturbing truth.
0: Well, Cisco Nieber would say, Okay, but because he's the I agree with you. I agree that Carolyn Monroe and her brief scenes, she steals it. She's amazing. You're rooting for her. But You spend most of your time with Frank, right? And he's just—he is just repellent. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, not not a not a not not somebody that you want to really analyze because if you get far too far down into his character, you're gonna start seeing like how terrible people can be. Because this guy, though, he did have a rough upbringing. We get that through. Uh, him like telling us bits and pieces as the film goes on about how awful it sounds like his childhood was. That's no excuse for the violent acts he commits. No. uh, He just kind of is all like oh it's all my mother's fault she abandoned me and and she betrayed me so I'm going to kill all these women and scalp them uh, and put their their scalps on uh, mannequins. So he's not somebody that you can really sympathize with because his actions are inexcusable.
0: Well, yeah, and I uh, i mean, this is... Uh, and I think your comparison to Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer is correct, even though Siskel and Eber somehow gave that two thumbs out.
1: Yeah, I, I think Henry is more tasteful, if that makes any sense. It's more artsy. This is just... Um, I don't know. There's something less less chilling to the soul about this movie and more just visceral whereas like like Henry is just slow and methodical and just kind of depresses you
0: this didn't depress you
1: it yeah but but not in the same way y- you know what i mean like where where that Henry is more like plotting and it's a character drama as well as a horror film this is just a horror film with really really gross violence and uh it doesn't. It doesn't really put you in the mind of uh, Frank so much as it just portrays what he does. Whereas Henry, you're kind of forced to analyze his character and understand what he does throughout the movie.
0: Okay, fair enough. Um, going back to Carol Monroe's um, character. Um, huge Carol Monroe fan. Like I said, mm-hmm. I. Um, growing up on Hammer Films in the late 70s, had a huge crush on her. I mean, Mm -hmm. she was just... Good Lord, she was gorgeous. (laughs) Um, But depending on what source you look at, she was cast because her millionaire husband put up $200,000 to finish the movie. Um, A lot of people have wondered why her character would be attracted to someone like Frank Zito, which you brought up, you know, played by Spinel. But... She has since said, and, and maybe this is her spinning it, but this is what she's saying, that her character was actually supposed to be gay. And okay. so, so she was, you know, she has, she has either said, well, my character was gay, or she said, well, it was ambiguous. And so her relationship with Joe Spinell's character, Frank Zito, was more of a friendship kind of artistic thing. What do you think?
1: Well, it's kind of strange, though, because she lets him take her on dates, and she gives him a kiss, and she goes to his mother's grave with him to deliver flowers. These aren't just normal friend uh, kind of things that they do. Uh, Usually friends don't go to candlelit dinners and have discussions about their mothers. Um, But maybe maybe it's there. I feel like it's it's kind of just... uh, if you if you look for hints that she is ho- a homosexual then you can maybe find them just well she talks your about how she's you. like
0: really interested in girls and so forth so she's a
1: she's a photographer of women i don't know that that necessarily makes you attracted to them um but but she True. she does she does say at one point in the movie i like to make women look beautiful i don't know if that's if that has any significance.
0: Uh, not necessarily. But, I mean, the, but, I, I, but I'm just telling you what she said. I mean, you can buy mm-hmm. it or not. You can buy it or sell it. I don't know. I'm just telling you what she said. You,
1: well, I, Frank I, Frank certainly seemed to think he had a shot with her.
0: Okay, fair enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fair
1: uh, enough. But it, it that would make far more sense if that was the case, because he's disgusting. Uh, <laughs> I don't think... <laughs> I mean, if you hear somebody knock on your door and they say, hi, you took a picture of me in the park, you don't let them in and chat chat them up and, and drink with them. That's not something that you normally do. Uh, my especially mind, not
0: 1979 Manhattan. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Exactly. And my mind told me that this was not really happening the way Frank thought it was, similar to Joker, um, which has a very similar storyline to this in, in a few ways, um, but that has the Joker falling in love and going on dates with the girl, and then he finds out that it was all in his head. Um, they only had one interaction. Oh, so I oh okay, hold difficult. on. So
0: is this your hot take, that you think this is all a figment of Fransito's imagination? Of it, I think
1: some of it is... Um, I mean, I get the ending, but you're saying yeah. the whole movie? No, not the whole movie. Specifically, the scenes with um with Anna with Carolyn Monroe. In the same way that Joker has scenes that are told from a third-person, you know, kind of objective, omniscient view, but then the scenes when he's with this girl are from his perspective, and everything's you know roses. I think that there's maybe a little bit of tampering with the story from his mind. Because I don't think anybody could look at Frank Zito and just say, yeah, this guy seems nice. He could come to my art exhibit. I'll, I'll introduce him to all my friends. Uh, you know, he, I'll let him into my apartment and let him see where I shoot and introduce him to all of these models.
0: Uh, I'm not – okay, so um, being 31 years older than you, um, I've seen that.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, having lived in Hollywood and, and you know, uh, spent many a day in Manhattan um, from the time I was 18, uh, actually,
1: I can see that. But he's not a sugar daddy in any way. He's kind of no,
0: gross me. Uh, no, I, I get that. But I've been to Hollywood parties where it's like, okay, how did that guy get in here? And mm-hmm. so back in the day... Um, when I was 16, 17, I had a buddy who was an actor, had a buddy who was a R and b um, performer, and we used to go to this thing called the Bat Lady Parties, um, mm-hmm. where literally you had to have a code to get in and all this other kind of stuff. It was like in a meatpacking. It was it, all the cliches, and you would go, and you would meet people like this. Sure. and And people assumed... Here's what I found out: People assumed that what we would call sickos were just eccentric artists.
1: Yeah. Yeah, maybe maybe she would assume that because he does seem to think he knows a lot about photography, um, and you know he's talking about the philosophy behind taking pictures, but um, also the the problem still arises why did she interact with him in the first place why would she ever let somebody like him into her apartment and let him stay i mean it's just like it's kind of cartoonish seeing him I, beside her
0: i can definitely see that from the outside but I, you know julia roberts married lyle Lovin i mean i'm just saying i mean it's not it's yeah. not unheard of it it does happen um so I remember that. Oh, it was the first uh, maybe year I was in LA. Um, my, your uncle and I went to uh, a place called Hamburger Hamlet. hmm And Kiefer Sutherland and Julia Roberts were dating at the time. Right. And they were in the. They were waiting on a table. And Julia Roberts is like six foot tall and Kiefer Sutherland is like five foot five. Mm -hmm. And they were sitting next to each other. I was like, wait a minute. How is this happening? Yeah, it happens. I mean, it's just this kind of weirdness does happen, bub.
1: Okay. I'll give it that. I'll, I'll I'll let the movie, you know, be objective from that. That is totally happened in the narrative. Well, I'll allow it. Um, that doesn't excuse some of the later things. Uh, I think I have some problems technically with the film later, which I'll talk about. But okay. narratively, you definitely have to admit that he is hallucinating, and uh, oh, a lot of, uh, especially, especially the ending. The end. Yeah, the yeah, end. in absolutely. the cemetery and in his apartment, these absolutely. things are not happening.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm not going to argue with that. You're, I think you're 100% right. So, this thing cost three hundred fifty thousand dollars. According to most websites, yep. Now William Lustig debates that, but eh, I'm not sure he's the best source. And it reportedly took in 10 million.
1: Yeah, I mean, controversy. Controversy does wonders for a movie. And when you're t- when you're told not to see something, you go and see it. I feel like that's how uh, Midsummer kind of was for uh, a lot of people in this town because I know it did bank uh, here in Virginia. Really. But- in Lynchburg. Yeah. Yep. A lot of people from Lynchburg were saying they were going to go see it, which is kind of strange for a Christian college campus. Uh, it's not something you usually go to see a cult movie in Sweden with uh, nudity and graphic violence. But I mean, controversy does wonders for for the box office, I feel like. Um, and even if it was, you know, rioted against and even banned in some places, um, it's not going to stop people from seeking it out and giving it money. And I feel like it's it's probably made a resurgence recently because eighty slashers are all the rage these days. It's all people want to talk about um, right. because people feel that nostalgia for that subgenre. So it's, it's kind of been rediscovered, I feel. Um, I, if it's true that it was only made for 300000 and it made $10 million, uh, I don't understand why they didn't keep pumping out uh, crappy sequels until the franchise was dead because that seemed to be well, the trend with there a lot was of these. one sequel oh really i have never there, heard of it. there was a sequel yeah. there's a reboot I, mean, I know that
0: yeah with elisha wood but there was a sequel It it's it was a short but
1: yeah did it was it good <laughs> i guess that's my question. uh no okay well that's to be expected, I feel like With the ending being so conclusive I don't know how you can make a sequel
0: I hear you Alright, um, let's go to this When I was a kid Because this came out when I was 8 years old I didn't see it until 8 years later when I was 16 But I remember Like when I was like 11 or 12 There was a rumor Which I took to be an urban legend mm-hmm. That the song Maniac By Michael Cimbello which became a huge hit on the Flashdance soundtrack. hmm Was originally written for this movie. Right. All right, so here we go. This
1: is not true. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. When would it fit in this movie? When would Maniac fit into the pacing of this movie?
0: Well, hear me out, because it gets weird. Mm-hmm. Um, according to Sim- Michael Cimbello himself, he wrote an email to the website Song Facts. Mm-hmm. which I have checked many times because I'm that kind of guy. He and another songwriter penned this song after watching the movie Maniac. Mm. The lyrics included lines like this gem. Now, you're a musician. Are you ready for this? Mm-hmm. i Lay it on me. He's a maniac. I'm not going to sing it because I can't sing. Mm-hmm. He's a maniac, maniac, that's for sure. He will kill your cat and nail him to the door.
2: Ugh. Yes,
0: that is a line from the demo,
1: inspired by the movie Maniac. I mean, I, yeah, yep, makes sense, <laughs> makes sense in the context of this movie, but I cannot imagine Frank Zito walking around with that pop song playing, and no. I don't know when that would fit into the slow, methodical pacing of the film. Uh, I'm though there is uh, one part in the photo shoot scene with some really crappy pop, not saying that that maniac is a bad song, but in this scene during the photo shoot scene, the worst pop music I've ever heard while these models are, are kind of posing uh, while Carolyn Monroe is taking their pictures. It's so bad. It's so annoying. Uh She's turning on the boom box. It's it's very seventies. And I know this came out in 80, but it is the most seventies scene I've ever seen.
0: Well, it actually was filmed in 79. Mm -hmm. Uh, it had a premiere in 80. It actually didn't get quote unquote wide
1: release till 81. Gotcha. Was this a so, troubled release? I feel like people wouldn't play it in theaters for a while. Oh,
0: oh yes. We'll get to that. So, um, <clears throat> but surprise, surprise, the music supervisor
1: mm-hmm. for
0: the movie Flashdance, who's a guy I know. Um, I got, you know, cause I worked as a music publisher for two and a half years. I got to know most of the music supervisors in Hollywood. Um, He did not approve of the lyrics for Maniac, and he said, go rewrite it for Flashdance, which was a movie about strippers who don't strip. And he rewrote it and became a hit.
1: Yep. Um, Yeah, I can see how uh, lyrics about nailing a cat to the door wouldn't be a big hit with the kitties. Um, Not even Ghost does that, right? Well, I I think they have kind of worse and lyrics and that but but no they they don't well my favorite song
0: is rats so okay but okay
1: yeah and that song is about the bubonic plague which arguably is more gruesome than nailing a cat to a door but but yeah yeah but i i get what you're talking about
0: i voted for you know prequel on your poll on twitter just because i love rats so okay i've
1: got i've got a a 30 what like a 36 36 36 split right now not really helpful i've got i've got you know evenly the sp- space between three different albums so i don't know how i'm going to decide you have to admit
0: Prequel was a great album
1: it is a great album yep okay it R- would be right at home in this movie
0: yes it would so let's talk for a minute about joe Spinell, all right mm-hmm. gone too soon yep r.i.p uh, he absolutely uh, r.i.p uh, r.i.p he died in 1989 at the age of
2: 52
0: mm-hmm. which is only four and a half years ahead of me i mean he was an alcoholic and a drug addict.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but despite that reputation, um, you can't hardly find somebody who says something negative about him. I mean, yeah. the people who worked with him loved him. Mm-hmm. And I found a documentary. Okay, so, all right, let me go ahead and cue this up because this is for our good buddy, Dave Becker, Dr. Shock. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me go on a little bit of rant and then I want to hear your response. Um, <clears throat> there is a documentary out there about Joe Spinell. It's not a great documentary, but you have Robert Forrester, Richard Lynch, Caroline Monroe, all of these people singing his praises, talking about what a great guy he was.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Despite the fact that there are conflicting reports on this, but best I can tell, he wasn't trained as an actor. He was a cab driver for nine years.
1: That makes sense.
0: He was then taxi driver. Well, yeah. He was a cab driver who lived with his mother in Queens. Mm -hmm. Um, And his sister was friends with Mario Puzo and got him an audition with the Godfather. And boom, he had a career. Next thing you know. And also because he was literally here's I was talking to Megan, my wife, about this a while ago. Um, he had a friend in New York in the early 70s by the name of Sylvester Stallone. Wow. And he was in Rocky. Well, and here's how that came about. Stallone couldn't get a job. Mm -hmm. And after Spinell did The Godfather, Mm -hmm. he had money coming in like crazy. Residual money from The Godfather was coming in like crazy. Like, I mean, friends have said he would get a $16,000 check In the 70s.
1: Yeah, it's not chump change.
0: No, from appearing in The Godfather, like in Mm -hmm. one month. Mm -hmm. And he would turn around and give $2,000 to Stallone to pay his bills before Rocky. Wow. He was just like, I believe in you. You're going to make it, buddy. Here's a couple thousand dollars. Go do your thing. He supported Stallone. And Mm so Stallone turns around, puts him in Rocky 1, Rocky 2, Nighthawks. You know, he does all that. He also gets movies and, like, you know, appearances in Night Shift with Ron Howard. Mm-hmm. He does the TV movie Vampire with Richard Lynch and Jason Miller. He does the Ninth Configuration with Stacy Keach and Jason Miller and all that kind of stuff, um, which the the TV movie Vampire, by the way, um, Peter Nielsen and, and, and Joel and, and um, the horror unicorn have covered on Terror on the Tube. You need to check that out. Um, You know, all these guys, when I watched the documentary, like, Joe was the best guy ever. We loved him. All this other kind of stuff. Um, And here's the heartbreaking thing. Joe Spinell launched Sylvester Stallone's career. He funded Sylvester Stallone's career. Mm -hmm. He was godfather Mm -hmm. to Stallone's children early on. Wow. After they did Nighthawks, in, which came out in eighty one, and Stallone was about ready to do First Blood. He got new management, and management decided that they didn't want Spinell around, and Stallone cut him off.
1: Jeez, that's heartbreaking.
0: It is heartbreaking. Mm. That that's that's such a. I'm sorry. I mean, I know I'm a pastor, but okay, I'll say it. That's a d bag move. That's horrible.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. Almost makes you want to go out and, and scalp some people, huh?
0: Well, no, but, you know, it's... <laughs> um, I think Stallone made a huge mistake there. Oh,
1: yeah, for sure. And I'm sure he regretted it after after Spinel's death.
0: He... Did, um, Later on, when Spinel died, he had a toast to him with some friends and all that kind of stuff, but he cut him off back in 81, and... I think that was a huge mistake. I mean, I, I'm sorry. I've worked in politics. I've worked in Hollywood. You stick with the people. I mean, look, um, all right. Breaking news. Um, when I was in Hollywood, I hung out a lot with, um, an actor by the name of Jason Priestley. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I haven't talked to Jason in 30 years.
2: <laughs> wow.
0: Um, but if he called me tonight, I'd, I, you know, i listened listen to him. I mean, he was, we were friends, you know. I mean, I don't, I hate that. I hate that Stallone did that. Mm-hmm. And I don't thank a lot of him for that, you know. And Joe Spinell, gone too soon, died in 1989 at the age of 52. Yeah. He was an alcoholic and a drug addict, that's for mm-hmm. sure. Um, but, you know, despite having that reputation, as I said... You have so many people singing his praises, um, you know, whether it was Robert Forrester or Richard Lynch or Carolyn Monroe or whatever, they all sing his praises. Uh, he wasn't classically trained. He did some off-Broadway stuff. He was a cab driver, lived with his mother, you know, but he was in, like I said, Rocky One, Rocky Two, Nighthawks, Night Shift with Ron Howard. He did the TV movie Vampire with Richard Lynch and Jason Miller. He did The mm-hmm. Ninth Configuration with Jason Miller.
1: All of them talk about how wonderful a guy he was. Um, so terrible. he's got a re- he's got a respectable career, but he's not a household name because he had such small parts in most of those films.
0: And he should have a household name. Would you agree mm-hmm. with that?
1: Yeah, no, I, I would have liked to see him get more big parts like he did in Maniac. He definitely can carry a film. I mean, we see he's got a very dynamic performance here, um, lots of emotions. I mean, he can go from from totally you know sociable to you know kind of a crazed lunatic, in the blink of an eye. And that kind of talent you know shows promise in other genres, not just horror. Though I would have liked to see him in more uh, horror films, but. Uh, I mean, he deserved an, another lead at least before his before his untimely death and And what was the name of that documentary about him?
0: It's just called the Joe Spinell Story. It's not okay. a great documentary, but it's just interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and the documentary answers one of our buddies' questions. Now, you and i we have a close friend, Dave, Dr. Schack Becker
1: mm-hmm. um he's been very generous to you. Um, oh yes, absolutely. One one of my biggest inspirations in the podcasting world. Absolutely. And one of the things that Dave has brought up on
0: podcast after podcast is why in the world is Joe Spinell with Steven Spielberg on the morning of the Academy Award nominations when Spielberg's thinking he's going to get a nomination for Jaws? Mm -hmm. Why is Joe Spinell standing there with Steven Spielberg? Why they're filming this when Spielberg obviously thinks he's going to get a nomination for best director for Jaws.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: All right. Well, Dave, I have an answer for you. Um, Spielberg was actually a huge fan of, of Joe Spinell's. He loved him in The Godfather and The Godfather 2. And so here's what he did. He offered a part to Joe to appear in Jaws. So, if you remember Jaws, and I know you do,
2: <laughs> do you remember
0: forget? remember the scene where the fishermen on the pier and they threw out their his wife's pot roast to yep. attract the shark? Yep. And the shark takes it and drags the pier away with it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. That scene was written for Joe Spinell. Man, he he really, you know. Missed out on that one. That that would have been a good... That would have been a good role for him.
0: Okay, well... His... One of his best buddies was a guy named Frank uh, Pesci. Mm. Not Joe Pesci, but Frank... Too close to Frank P-E- Zito for me. Yeah. Frank P-E-S-C-E. So, maybe Pesky. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So, maybe my Italian is off, but... So, he and Frank Pesky were supposed to do this scene in Jaws. Uh, because Spielberg was a huge fan of Joe Josephinell's. Sure. Well... Frank Pesky went through uh, some kind of what he calls a personal crisis, maybe a breakup. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And so he's a depressed. And so Joe Spinell calls Bill and says, I can't make it out to Martha's Vineyard. My buddy is hurting. I need to be here for him. And so that's the only reason Joe Spinell did not appear in Jaws. Man. So most people will remember Frank Pesky or Pesci, or I'm—I'm sure I'm not pronouncing it correctly—as
2: mm-hmm.
0: the guy who haggles over cigarettes with Eddie Murphy slash Axel Foley and Beverly Hills Cop.
1: Yeah, <laughs> man, this is like a this is like that game you play where you got to connect everybody by common. A, a it is common...
0: seven degrees of Kevin Bacon. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, like exactly.
1: that, man. This is this is a deep you know spider web, very complex. Yeah, so they were supposed
0: to be the fishermen. Those two mm-hmm. were supposed
1: to be the fishermen on Martha's Vineyard.
0: But Joe Spinell calls Spielberg says, "I'm sorry, I can't do it. My buddy's hurting. I need to be with him." So, after Jaws becomes a hit, Spielberg runs into Spinell and says, "You know, hey, you were supposed to be in Jaws. Your buddy was supposed to be in Jaws. I'm hosting a a breakfast party where Jaws, I'm sure, will be nominated. I'll be nominated." Coming along because you were supposed to be there.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: All right. So to answer Dave Dr. Shox Becker's question about why was Joe Spinell in, you know, with Steven Spielberg on the morning, that's why. Because he wanted Joe Spinell in Jaws. He couldn't make it. He saw him after the movie came out. Invited him. That's why. There you have it, Dave.
1: That's the story. That's a scoop. there
0: you have it yep so um, that happened and they go off on the academy you know but you know probably because Joe was a alcoholic and drug addict you know Stephen <laughs> never put him in a movie of his after that but
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, it, it is sad um, ironically the residuals as I said earlier from the Godfather and Maniac fed his addiction
2: mm-hmm. and
0: led to the downfall of his career, um, because he had so much money, and even though he lived with his mother for most of that time, his mother died, and that spiraled his addiction even further, um, you know, he was found in the early afternoon, he was already drunk and high, he was drinking in, during the day, um, it's a shame, I'm a fan of Joe Spinell, Let's see
1: yeah I haven't seen I haven't really paid attention to any of his performances in any other movie. but certainly a maniac he gives an admirable admirable performance. I mean, he really thrusts you uh, kind of into the passenger seat um, with him as he as he commits these these atrocities. Um, and he shows, you know, great power as an actor to yeah, be absolutely. able to have these really tender moments and then these these screaming fits of violent rage you know just kind of intermingling with each other in one scene um it's it's really a a thing to behold uh he is equal parts kind of like boyish and um like kind of pitiful in some scenes but then he's foreboding and a like a really scary kind of figure yeah. In others um so it's kind of interesting to see this contrast between light and dark and and uh, sociable and creepy portrayed in this character frank zito and as i understand it he worked on the screenplay for maniac as well he did
2: yeah
0: he gave input on the screenplay mm-hmm. um yeah I mean he's gone too soon. I really thought he was strong in the Godfather part two especially i mean his mm-hmm. his his role in part one was uncredited in part two. you know I think he's front and center taxi driver cruising um rocky one and two I, I, when
1: he's on the screen, you can't take his eyes off of him. He really had it hmm yeah, he's de- he's definitely got that that look of of a either an Italian mobster or uh, a pimp or something. I mean, he's he's kind of a character actor, but not necessarily because you can't pin him down to one character. He's just kind of that guy.
0: Yeah, and I mean, he was also in a movie from 1980 which doesn't get enough love called The Ninth Configuration, mm-hmm. with Jason Miller and Stacy Keach and. And, 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 you know, so many others and, and they, you know, sang his praises. I mean, it's ninth configuration is a great movie directed by William Peter body. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Who did the exorcist. And Mm -hmm. it's a, it's a great movie. Um, I included it on my horror movies of 1980 as one of my top five. Um, and he's incredible in it. Um, but you can't find anybody to say a negative word about this guy other than his addiction. I mean, mm-hmm. and it got worse, you know, later in the 80s. And he he did do a lot of crap movies, you know. In the later 80s, he did a movie called The Undertaker, which is complete crap. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's god-awful. Um, but he's just magnetic. I mean, absolutely, he's... You know, he did some off-Broadway stuff, but he really wasn't trained. Um, I think he was a natural talent. And if he had survived that unfortunate accident in 1989, I mean, could you imagine him him in casino? Or that would have Good been fun. Yeah,
1: yeah. W- was he, other than Taxi Driver, did he ever work with uh, Scorsese apart from that?
0: No, I think that was it. But could you imagine him? I, I would mean, have been would good. Have been, oh, he would have been amazing in Goodfellas.
1: Mm-hmm. Just a side note here. You talked about The Undertaker. Uh, looking at the premise here, it sounds kind of similar to Maniac. It says... Uh, yeah, it is.
0: short. he actually did a short sequel to Maniac, mm-hmm. which was terrible. But yeah.
1: Yep. Is it just reading this off of Wikipedia? The mortician Joe Spinell attends a community college by day and murders women for his personal use. Sounds kind of like maniac, apart from the community oh, college yeah. thing. Oh yeah. I
0: so mean, it's, just, it's almost
1: like he's he's playing in a ripoff of his own movie.
0: Oh yeah, he just wanted top billing. Mm-hmm. He wanted to be a star, and so, you know, I can understand that. But it's just, you know, it's it's a tragic story. Mm-hmm. Um. So. What else do you want to talk about when it comes to Maniac? What notes do you have, buddy?
1: Um, I I want to talk about the technical aspects of this film. Okay. Um, we've we've praised Joe Spinell; he did an excellent job. Um, I think there's a lot of strong parts in this movie. Technically, I talked about the, cinemat- the cinematography is really good. Um, the it is soundtrack surprisingly is
0: surprisingly good.
2: Yeah,
1: it's it is it's kind of artsy almost, and that yeah. that that that, w- that surprised me, especially because that's an early slasher. But, um. I want to talk about something that is not so great. And that is the ADR. Did you notice a, a lot of ADR problems in this movie? Because I definitely did. Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, lo- just for instance, there's a scene where, with Disco Boy in his car and the girl that's with him. She's screaming, but her mouth is closed. Um. Also, and the scene where the nurse is being chased by frank zito and she's hiding in a bathroom stall right. she's she's you know uh like groaning and kind of panting out of breath but her mouth isn't moving and it's like really really <laughs> loud it's yeah. like yeah you're gonna be found by the killer if you're like <clears throat> <clears throat> who does that when they're hiding right um and when she's walking she's constantly gotta like make sounds i don't know why they thought they had to dub that in and she's laughing because she thinks she's escaped she's laughing really really loudly just right. and very strange, uh, and and Frank is is constantly groaning, just kind of like it's, it's We get it. He's creepy. Um, also, the voiceover at the end, when uh, when Frank is in the cemetery, and you hear him kind of recounting his childhood in his head, you hear uh, like young Frank talking to his mother, and the the voiceover is so laughably deadpan. Um, it's like, no mother, please do not put me in the closet. I must punish you, Frank. You are a bad boy. It was, it, it, it was almost yeah. to the point of comedy. Um, Joe Spinell was giving me a great performance. They just ruined it with the, the voiceover in that part. I mean, you could see the turmoil on his face and then no mother do not put me in the closet. Um, and I talked about this a little bit earlier, but what is Carolyn Monroe doing in this movie to begin with? She's got like a vaguely European accent. I know she's British, but um, it's kind of vaguely European. And she's, she's being like she's being hot is what she's doing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, she is, but she's kind of out of place in this. Uh, a, I mean, for the most part. And yet we're
0: good friends. I mean, they Yeah, were totally and I can see friends.
1: it. I can see them being friends. Um, and from what you said, she intended her character. Maybe this is what she thought. Maybe it's not specifically what the director told her. But maybe she justified it by her being gay, and that would make sense if they were just friends. Right. Um, but she's a little, a little bit of an oddball character in this film because everybody else is so very New York, and she brings this classic horror kind of European feel to it, which is kind of strange. Uh, but I, I don't know what to think of this movie because it feels mean spirited in a lot of the scenes. Oh, I,
0: I, I agree with you. It's mean
1: spirited. I think not, it's a little I'm... excessive and a little gratuitous, but at the same time, um, almost necessary for the genre because these kinds of movies perpetuated the like, like the way we think about horror movies. It kind of gave new life to them by injecting all this controversy because. For so long, horror films had kind of just become remakes of remakes of remakes stylistically. Um, I mean, Hammer was just, like, universal, but with was, but was gore and a nudity, which, I mean, not a problem by me, but for a lot of people, I think, we had to have something new come along, and this, along with other slashers, like My Bloody Valentine, Friday the 13th, and, of course, Halloween and Black Christmas, which kind of started it all. Yeah. Um, they kind of gave life to the genre again.
0: Yeah. Um, mm, I, I I can't argue with you, but at the same time, I kind of, admi- like I said, you know, when I was your age and I first watched it, I hated it. I thought it was just a low budget piece of crap. I've come to admire it. Do you have anything that you admire about this movie that you can point out? Um,
1: Yeah. I mean, it is artistically, I think, it is saying something. Um, it is kind of a commentary. It, it shows you how serial killers think in a, in a really disturbingly realistic okay. uh, right. way. And it does have something to say about how we treat people, I think, with, with mental health issues. Um, and it, it kind of portrays how New York was at the time, which is not a great place to be. Right. But I think... It it's a little gratuitous. It's a little um, it's a little over the top and mean spirited. Uh, in one scene uh, with Rita, it, the the camera kind of lingers on her. It kind of sat with me uh, wrong how it lingers on her when she's in the bath for a very I very long time. I agree. It's kind of yeah. sleazy in that scene. Uh, but I wouldn't call it inherently anti-feminist. I don't think it's trying to say. You know, go out and murder women, you know, subjugate them. It's not trying to put down the feminist movement. It's just depicting what this guy does. And, I mean, obviously, he's a scumbag. All right, so what
0: would you rate? I'm really interested to know your your rating on this.
1: Enjoyment value alone for this film is like a 5 out of 10. But as far Mm -hmm. as my actual rating goes, I would give it a 7 to a 7.5. Uh, oh okay i would say that it's one of those you just you can't watch very often i would do it kind of the way you did where you you watch it then you don't watch it for decades and then you revisit it yeah Um, i've seen it i
0: think i've seen it four times over the last 40 years yeah
1: it's not something that you want to binge like and oh you got to show it to your friends really get them into horror no this will scare them off do not show them this movie I would say it's a rental as far as quality goes, but it is streaming on Shudder, so you can check that out.
0: Yeah, and, and we wanna point that out because um as a capitalist, yeah, Shudder needs to sponsor us. So but mm-hmm. I, yes. I yeah. it
1: it, it, and the transfer on shutter was really good honestly because it is they do a good job with 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 older films they do really good job with transfers which surprises me because um so often i'll I'll see a movie like even if it's on you know some kind of like pirating site like daily motion when you can't you can't find (laughs) something from the 50s and it's uh it's not on dvd anywhere um I mean they'll just get these really crappy Basically VHS transfers But somehow they always seem to find Like these really crisp uh, Well preserved film Transfers for Shutter. so I really admire That
0: I, I, I agree um, I'm right there with you um, When I rewatched This for the second time Back a year and a half ago when I was going through 1980, 81 horror films I gave this a 6 out of 10 On Litterbox. Mm-hmm. Um, after rewatching it, and I've rewatched it twice now, um, I'm bumping it up to a seven out of 10. I'm okay. not going to say buy it, even though I hear the three discs set from Blue Underground is pretty impressive, including a, I got the hiccups, I'm sorry, um, uh, including a 4k restoration. Um, I'm still going to say rent it, stream it on Shudder. Mm-hmm. Uh, That would be my recommendation.
1: Sure. Yeah. This isn't, like you said, um, unless you're interested in the special features, don't buy this movie because you're not going to want to watch it very often.
0: Yeah. And you can get some of the special features on YouTube, like I do. Sure. Sure. All right, buddy. So next week, it is Women in Horror Month. Mm -hmm. So after covering what is arguably a misogynistic sexist. (laughs) Yep. Um, I have a recommendation to make because what I want to do from here on out is you and I agree on our pick beforehand so people have a chance to watch it.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: I would prefer to pick something on Amazon Prime or Netflix or Shutter, so that people have a real opportunity to watch it. Mm -hmm. So here's what I'm suggesting. And because I love you, Mm -hmm. you're my man, (laughs) my boy, Blue um you have the right to veto this kibosh it okay all right a woman directed this but it is a roger corman movie it's a splasher it's on shutter what do you say next time we cover slumber party massacre
1: oh my gosh um i did not know where you were going with that <laughs> absolutely we can do slumber party massacre right. i thought you were gonna pull some kind of art house no thing, but no yeah we've slumber done party enough massacre.
0: art house let's go
2: let's go yeah. For slash. Let's okay
1: yeah 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 let's 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 make february ours let's do some slumber, slumber party massacre i'm looking forward to that i will have a lot to say about that because though it though it, it does appear to be just your everyday slasher it's kind of a precursor to scream in a few ways
0: hey i agree and i hey look you know what i'm 47 years old so i know i've i don't have i have less time left than i've had but i have the slumber party massacre limited edition shot factory blu-ray of course (laughs) i have the figure i have the poster Mm -hmm. days you will inherit it that will come to you And so this gives me an excuse to watch the, you know, watch the shout factory Blu-ray. So yeah. Yeah. And, but it is on shutter right now. Mm -hmm. So you can go to shutter, watch slumber party massacre directed by a woman produced by
1: Roger Corman. So Mm -hmm. are you up for that next week? Oh yeah, definitely. I'm looking forward to that. All right. So that's where we're going
0: next week. So, all right, buddy, where can people find you on social media?
1: Well, on Twitter, I'm at Kane underscore hero 12. That's K A I N E underscore hero 12. On Letterboxd, I'm at King Hero with no spaces. I've also got a YouTube channel, which I'm planning to post on in the future. And that is in my bio on my profile on both those websites.
0: Yeah, you have some great videos on there. People need to check that out. Um... Along with Dave, Dr. Shock Becker's. Yes, absolutely.
1: I watched all of his Oscar reaction and prediction videos. Oh, they were Um, great. Just kind of binge those because he actually has an eye for what the Academy might choose. Oh, yeah. He's,
0: well, Dave's got an eye, period. He's, Mm he's, he's great. So, absolutely. So, um, I, I, I encourage you to check out Jackson's um, YouTube videos, Dave's YouTube videos. I am on Twitter and Letterbox to Pastor Matt R. You can find this podcast on Twitter and Instagram. We have a website website sorry slash blog at FatherAndSonWatchForward.com. Mm-hmm. And look, we really appreciate you listening. I mean, we never anticipated, you know, doing this with twenty some thousand listeners a week. I mean, this is insane. And so. Um, We are going to launch a Patreon episode uh, page pretty soon where we'll do some special episodes um, talking about lots of great stuff, but um, where you can help put Jackson through film school. So you (laughs) can actually, look, you sign up to be a Patreon here in the next month or two. You're supporting the next great horror movie director. You you can be my
1: Joe Spinell.
0: (laughs) Exactly. So... We appreciate you listening. We ask that you subscribe, rate, review on iTunes. We would really appreciate a five-star review and that you would share it on Twitter. We love that. We want to thank all the people who've done that. So, you know, Jigsaw Jody, Shane the Maniac, you know, all the people on horror movie podcasts Atlanta the Creeps, all those people, you know, Dino.
1: Dino, the Hub Podcast, is he not the greatest guy in the world? Oh yeah, definitely. Week after week, every Friday, he's shouting everybody out. He's the best. He's amazing. He and
0: Michelle, you guys Mm -hmm. are the best. You guys are the best. You guys need to subscribe to them, follow them. They're incredible. Um, so next week, Slumber Party
1: Massacre.
2: Yes.
1: Oh, this is gonna be so much fun. So Mm -hmm. say goodbye to the good people. Goodbye, and remember not to get blood on your mannequins. (laughs) <laughs> it's not a problem most people have but i just I, I just thought i'd say that oh i
0: love you for it buddy all right so until next time remember the family that watches horde together stays
2: together see you next time